Welcome back to the G3 Podcast. Today, we're going to be discussing the subject of preaching. We're going to be talking about the subject of expository preaching. And in order to do so, I want to begin with the reading of a specific passage of Scripture. Now, as we talk about the subject of preaching today, I want to drive home this this central point that the church needs preaching. But the church doesn't just need generic preaching or preaching that's somehow uh, an abstract idea or some sort of abstract functionality of the church, but the church needs a specific type of preaching. And there are different types of preaching, and we must understand that. But what the church needs today is a consistent, steady diet of biblical preaching. I would argue that biblical preaching is what we call expository preaching. Now, I'm going to work to define that in just a few moments, but I want to begin today with a reading of Scripture from 2 Timothy chapter 4. The Apostle Paul, really in his last letter, uh, writes to Timothy, his his son in the faith, a man that he discipled, that he loved dearly, who was pastoring in a very difficult, challenging context in the city of Ephesus. And here's what Paul writes. He says in chapter 4, verse 1 of 2 Timothy he writes, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now, in this passage, we see nine imperative verbs. We see nine commands by Paul to Timothy, and at the front and center of the line is this idea of preaching. And what he says is you must preach the word. Now, this is the word keruso in the Greek, and it literally means to be a public herald, someone who is a town crier, someone who would stand and publicly proclaim a message. And so in this sense, in this case, Paul is saying that's what you are to do, Timothy, within the context of the church. You're not to suggest the word or to mumble the word or to talk the word or to survey the community to find out what type of word they would prefer. He says you must preach the word. Now, as we think about our own modern context, obviously we can see that there are many different types of individuals and preachers and leaders within evangelicalism today who have abandoned the idea and the command of preaching, and they've replaced it with other things, other substitutes. And this is tragic when you think about the health of the local church, and we see that uh, all sorts of things are replacing preaching in order to draw crowds and to grow churches. In many ways, these pastors, these leaders, they have not taken seriously their calling to shepherd souls. Now, as we think about preaching in general, I'm going to make a statement here that I want, and I seek to uh, defend this statement. I want to defend it because I believe it to be true. But the statement is this, at the center of Christian worship stands the pulpit. 
Now, obviously, what I'm not suggesting here is that we're worshiping the pulpit itself or that we're worshiping the man who stands in the pulpit, such as the pastor, or that we're even worshiping the Bible that's placed on the pulpit. That's not at all what I'm suggesting. At the center of Christian worship stands the pulpit. In other words, here's what I am saying, is that in order for the church to grow, in order for the church to to grow as God would have the church to grow, in order for sin to be reproved, in order for uh, God's people to be rebuked, in order for God's people to be exhorted and to strive for joy in the Lord, then the Word of God must be central. The Scriptures must be proclaimed. That's what I'm saying. And so when I'm suggesting that at the center of Christian worship stands the pulpit, what I am saying is that our worship must be Word-driven. And and as the worship of the church is Word-driven, then we will be driven where? We will be driven to Jesus. I believe that expository preaching is Jesus-centered. Now, I want to make a statement here. Anything less than authentic Christian preaching causes enormous and catastrophic problems in the life of the local church. We can, we can certainly agree with that at some level, that if you don't have the proper biblical preaching taking place in the life of the church, enormous and catastrophic problems will result. Now, the first mark of an authentic church is what I would say, expository preaching. And this expository preaching, if it's defined properly, must be Jesus-centered. It must be Jesus-centered. Now, when substitutes are made upon the preaching of Holy Scripture in an attempt to become relevant or cool or attractive to the culture, then the church becomes less than authentic. The church becomes something other than a true church. Now, by way of summary, let's talk about expository preaching. Expository preaching is a is a fancy uh, theological term that really means a verse-by-verse approach to the Bible, a verse-by-verse approach whereby the preacher sequentially works through books of the Bible in a systematic manner. So this sequential approach, this sequential systematic approach working through books of the Bible or texts of Scripture. So there are various different forms of expository preaching that we could discuss that would include topical exposition, such as, you know, a pastor would take a specific series uh, in the life of the church. He would look at the church and see that there is a specific series that's needed to be preached, a, a subject matter that needs to be unpacked for the church. And in order to do that, he would cover various different passages of Scripture from various different books, but he would do so in a verse-by-verse approach from week to week. So one week he might be in Mark, the next week he might be in John, the next week he might be over in 1 Corinthians, or what have you. But as a steady diet, the normal approach for the church would be to unpack and to preach the Bible in a verse-by-verse setting through books of the Bible over periods of time. So one book of the Bible, say 1 John, you might preach that in in 12 weeks. Or you might preach through the Gospel of John in three years. Or you might preach through an Old Testament book of the Bible, a very lengthy book. You might preach, say, Isaiah in four years. 
But the steady diet of the church should be a verse-by-verse unpacking of the Bible. Now, in a more definitive manner, let's talk about definitions. We have some very popular definitions through the years that have been offered up by trusted expositors and Bible teachers. So let's begin with John MacArthur. John MacArthur has written on this subject in his book on preaching, and here's, here's what he says about preaching itself. He says, quote, The message finds its sole source in Scripture. The message is extracted from Scripture through careful exegesis, and the message preparation correctly interprets Scripture in its normal sense and in its context. The message clearly explains the original God-intended meaning of Scripture. The message applies the scriptural meaning for today. End quote. Now, what he's saying here is really good because he is identifying this, this need for the message, the actual sermon itself, it should find its sole source in Scripture. But he goes on to make this statement. The message or the sermon clearly explains the original God-intended meaning of Scripture. Now, this is critically important when it comes to preaching. We must understand that we don't read into the Bible, but we are reading what's actually in the Bible and then extracting the meaning, the single meaning of that text, and then bridging the gap from the, from the historical context to the modern context. So the original God-intended meaning, as Dr. MacArthur discusses here, flows through the original author to that original context, that original uh, group or the recipients, to now through the modern preacher to the modern audience, which then is applied to that specific context. But we must understand that when we preach, we don't say, well, the text means this to us today, or that the text means this to me, and therefore I want you to know X, Y, or Z. That would not be the appropriate way to approach a biblical text. Furthermore, John Stott, in his book, Between Two Worlds, says the following, quote, Exposition refers to the content of the sermon, or biblical truth, rather than its style, a running commentary. To expound scripture is to bring out of the text what is there and expose it to view. The expositor opens what appears to be closed, makes plain what is obscure, unravels what is knotted, and unfolds what is tightly packed. End quote. Now, again, this is a really good explanation of biblical preaching. Expository preaching is the faithful proclamation of the biblical text in such a way that makes clear what the text is actually teaching. So, again, if you were to go back to Nehemiah chapter 8, you were to look at Ezra, the scribe who is reading from the scroll, is reading from the text of Scripture, then after he reads, he explains and he makes the sense clear. He, he makes the, the sense of Scripture clearly known to the people. This is critically important. This is why we have the aspect of observation, interpretation, and application. So we are making the truth of the text known to the people. Now, here's what Alistair Begg has written in his little short booklet titled Preaching for God's Glory. He writes the following, quote, 
unfolding the text of Scripture in such a way that makes contact with the listener's world while exalting Christ and confronting them with the need for action. End quote. This is the way that he describes preaching. Preaching is the unfolding of the text of Scripture in such a way that makes contact with the listener's world while exalting Christ and confronting them with the need for action. End quote. This is a real succinct, clear explanation of biblical preaching that, that exalts Christ, which I think is critically important as we think about biblical preaching. Haddon Robinson, in his book, Biblical Preaching, writes the following, quote, The communication of a biblical concept derived and transmitted through a historical, grammatical, and literary study of a passage in its context, which the Holy Spirit first applies to the personality and experience of the preacher, then through him to hearers, end quote. Now, this is his classic definition of expository preaching. And he drives home this idea of coming from a grammatical, literary study of a passage in its context. It's a historical, grammatical approach to the biblical text in its proper context and then bringing that to the modern audience. This is critically important. David Helm, in his little book titled Expositional Preaching, writes the following, quote, Expositional preaching is empowered preaching that rightfully submits the shape and emphasis of the sermon to the shape and emphasis of a biblical text, end quote. What he's saying here is that, that your sermon's shape must match the shape of the text itself. So in other words, this moves away from this idea of reading a passage of Scripture, ignoring the, the historical context, and the shape of what's happening there, and then simply creating some crafty little fancy outline that's really helpful to drive home your point, but it might not actually be the point of the text of Scripture itself. As we think about expository preaching, and as we seek to define it, I want to just sort of give my take on what I think a good, healthy definition of expository preaching would be. I believe expository preaching or a verse-by-verse approach to preaching uh, in a definitive manner would be this. It is the communication of a biblical text derived from a literal, historical, grammatical interpretation. And so the preacher actually observes the text, interprets the text, and applies the text with hermeneutical precision and then communicates the single meaning of the text with homiletical skill in such a manner that preserves the author's original intent while pointing people to Jesus Christ. Now, the reason that I define it in that way is because I want to drive home this idea of hermeneutics and homiletics. Hermeneutics is the science of biblical interpretation, and then homiletics is this idea of the skill of the communication of that specific biblical text. So this would include the form and the style and the shape of the sermon itself. So you need to be able to write the sermon and to communicate the sermon without being detached from the actual shape of the biblical text. And then you do so in such a way that preserves the original author's intent. And then here's the, here's the key— we must point people 
to Jesus Christ. So if Christian preaching is expository preaching, and if the first mark of an authentic church is expository preaching, then it goes without saying that at the heart of a Christian sermon is Jesus Christ. At the heart of a Christian sermon is Jesus Christ. I would say, I would argue that far too many sermons from the Old Testament within a Christian church on a Sunday morning would actually not offend a Jewish synagogue if preached there on a Saturday morning. Now, what am I saying here? What I'm arguing is that if you're going to preach as a Christian pastor to a Christian church on a Lord's Day morning, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, his victorious resurrection, and celebrating uh, his atoning death for us on the cross, then naturally our sermon must point people to Jesus. It must point people to Christ. Now, Charles Spurgeon has been quoted as saying, quote, I take my text and make a beeline to the cross, end quote. Now, actually, Spurgeon never really made that statement. It was it was popularized by Lewis Drummond in 1992, who actually wrote his biography titled Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. But Spurgeon never really made that statement. But if you were to take that statement as a whole and then observe Spurgeon's preaching style, you can certainly see that Spurgeon is, whether he's preaching in the Old Testament or the New Testament, he is certainly making his way to the cross in every sermon. So as we seek to make our way to the cross in our preaching, we must avoid the errors of allegorical interpretation. We must avoid this idea that every text of Scripture is absolutely about Jesus, because that certainly is not true. I mean, what are you going to do when you get to the passages that talk about Satan? That's obviously not Jesus, and that's not talking about Jesus. And so there are many passages of Scripture that don't specify or or are not specifically about Jesus himself. But ultimately, we can see that Jesus is connected to that text. Uh, Again, if it's a text that's about Satan, then we can obviously make the clear point that uh, it's connected to Jesus in the sense that Jesus will actually bring him to a place of of bowing and confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's already defeated him. We must see that true biblical preaching is Jesus-centered. So we avoid this idea of allegory. We avoid the idea of, of Uh, spiritualizing every text and then seeking to draw out hidden meanings and all of that. We, We simply need to preach the original meaning by the original author to the original audience that was God intended from the very beginning, that the Spirit of God was driving and and bringing to light in the biblical canon. As we think about that style of preaching that we want to avoid, we need to go back to this idea that we need to see that the Bible is a Jesus-centered book. And when we worship within the Christian context, it's Jesus-centered. Now, that's not a denial of Trinitarian worship. Trinitarian worship is Jesus-centered. Think about this. The Holy Spirit moved upon 40 different human authors over some 1,500 years of history to bring us this Bible, the biblical canon, it is the goal of the Holy Spirit to point people to Jesus. Now, we see this 
all throughout the Gospels that the Holy Spirit conceived Jesus in the womb of Mary. We see that uh, Jesus himself said that when the Helper comes in John 15, 26, he said, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. It is the role of the Spirit of God who is called the Spirit of Christ, even in Romans 8, 9. It is the role, it is the it is the office of the Holy Spirit to point people to Jesus. And he does so emphatically from Holy Scripture. So why would it be that a Christian preacher would have any other goal in their sermon other than to point people to Christ? In the New Testament, Peter proclaimed the Old Testament text, and then he did what in his sermon at Pentecost? Well, he pointed people to Jesus. And he made clear, striking application about their guilt of killing the very Son of God. In Acts chapter 8, you have the Ethiopian eunuch who was reading Isaiah 53 uh, on a chariot in a desert region when Philip found him there. And what does Philip do? Well, he begins at that very text, that Old Testament passage, and he preaches Jesus. So this should be the goal of our preaching, is that we would point people to Christ. In Romans 10, 17, we hear the important words from Paul as he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So as evangelicals pool multiplied millions of dollars together each year in order to print Bibles into the languages of unreached peoples and plant churches around the world, and then send missionaries to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth, then we must not be guilty of of adding the gospel to the end of our sermon just simply by way of conclusion. We must actually preach the gospel as the central part of our sermon and to demonstrate how Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of our eternal hope. In other words, as we think about the fact that Jesus is ultimately the fulfillment of the scriptures from Old Testament to New Testament. He is our hope. So if we're passionate about getting Jesus to the unreached peoples around the world, but we're less passionate about getting Jesus to the people in our own pews every week, we will be viewed as inconsistent in our gospel ministry. We never outgrow the gospel, and we never outknow the gospel of Jesus. So, If we're preaching the Word, we must make sure that we are not preaching the Word in such a way that would be acceptable in a Jewish synagogue. If we need to strive, we need to make it a central goal in our preaching to lift up Christ. Now we find these words of Jesus in Revelation 1.8. He says, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, while Jesus is indeed the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, and it's demonstrated by his victorious resurrection, he was, he is, and he is to come, the sovereign almighty God. But sadly, he is not preached in many sermons on the average Lord's Day in that way. People preach about Jesus, or they preach around the gospel, without actually preaching the gospel of Jesus. He is oftentimes crowded out by moralistic therapeutic deism. He's replaced by American politics. 
He is overlooked by preachers who are intoxicated by church growth pragmatics, as opposed to a firm commitment to exegeting Scripture and then proclaiming the gospel to feed God's sheep. So as we think about preaching, and as we think about the centrality of the gospel within the context of the Christian church, uh, as preachers of the word, we need to make sure that we are seeking in every sermon to drive people to see this glorious Christ, this glorious Christ who stands at the center of Holy Scripture. And as the Holy Spirit is is driving us to see that Jesus is our only hope, that should be our goal as pastors, week after week after week. And those visitors who come and sit in the context of your local church, and they're without Jesus, you point them to Jesus. And you point them to repent of their sins and trust Christ alone for salvation. And then those faithful members of the church who have been saved and have walked with God for decades, you point them to find their hope in Christ and find that their faith will be strengthened and that their faith will be built up on a weekly basis as the ordinary means of grace are presented to them through the Word of God proclaimed, that they would see that their faith is growing and that their hope is growing on a weekly basis as they hear Jesus preached to them. Now, again, I want to encourage you, if you're a pastor, to continue to be faithful in your attempt to make Christ known, continue to be faithful in digging and and exegeting and extracting the biblical text so that you can apply it to the church on a weekly basis. If you're not a pastor and you're listening to this podcast, I want to encourage you to encourage your pastor as he seeks to do that on a weekly basis. And as he seeks to spend much time in the Word, that you would be an encouragement to him, that you would receive the Word with a glad heart, and that it would be a joy for him as he preaches the Word. We also want to encourage you, if you are a preacher, if you are a pastor, if you would look to g3conference.com, you can find out more information about upcoming expository preaching workshops that would be an encouragement to you. We have several of those coming up this year. We have a couple that are coming up in the fall, so we encourage you to find out more on our website, and you can secure a seat in one of those workshops. And so we hope to be an encouragement to you. And as always, G3 Ministries desires to be an encouragement to you so that you can be an encouragement and a vital part of your local church for the glory of God. May God bless you.